Welcome to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We're your tough love work friends talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, corporate trainer putting in too much effort figuring out how to relax, Katie McDonald. And here's your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, and one-woman powerhouse that seems to recharge her batteries via the Earth's yellow sun, Heather MacArthur. Yeah, if that includes the boatload of coffee that's grown underneath the yellow sun. All right, we'll take that. (laughs) We should be talking about coffee today, (laughs) not to tease the premise. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show. We're walking listeners through strategies, attitude changes, and actions that put you in the driver's seat of your own career, and uh, most importantly, helping you understand what a successful, meaningful career looks like for you. I'm excited about this one. Today, we are addressing a topic that I am assuming is near and dear to everybody's hearts, burnout, what the warning signs are, how it can show up and slow down the jobs we do, and most importantly, how we can creatively combat it and recharge to get back to showing up with all our energy into the space we fill in our regular work days. And we are thrilled on this topic to have today's guest, not only because she is a longtime friend of both of ours and colleague from back in the day uh, when we all worked together in the travel industry 15 years ago, 15 years ago, but also... (laughs) But also because she's a fabulous advocate and example for how important it is for us to find ways to recharge our personal batteries so that we show up to our workplace as our best possible selves. Please welcome Senior Learning and Development Specialist and Gladys the Reading Dog's partner in crime, Megan Last. Megan! Hi, ladies! Welcome! So good to hear your voice! Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be with you. I have to say I am a podcast listener from episode number one. I just finished the LMTP book, so I am soaking up the the written information and the verbal information. I'm all about it. (laughs) We love it. Thank you for your support. Oh my gosh. It makes our day. As we said, you're making us legit. I think this is a great topic. Katie, like you said, we three and then anybody else listening can relate to burnout because burnout not only happens in our workplace or is a product of maybe what we do in our workplace, uh, but also in our personal lives. So I think that burnout can be a professional or a personal challenge. In my work role, I'm a member of the human resources team at Skoda Minotti, which is a top 100 business and financial advisory firm. One of my main contributions to Skoda Minotti is training our employees on skills such as communication, adapting to change, conflict resolution, and and emotional intelligence. Uh, During training, I often say to the attendees, these topics are relevant at work, but they're also relevant at home. So when we think about burnout, it's the same thing. Uh, You can be burned out at work and you can be burned out at home. I think there's a great depth to this topic and conversation that we're all going to get something out of. Well, I feel like we're all coming from three very different strategies or or, uh, focal points for how we address this when we plug into it, when we realize the need for it. But I want to start first with what it means to burn out. Like, why is this important, right? Why is it important to actually unplug at some point and find time outside of the workplace to recharge those batteries? So 
what are some of the dangers of burning out in your role? I love this, especially when uh, I'm talking to colleagues in my current role or with previous clients where they say, oh, but I love my job. How could I ever burn out on doing something that I love so much? This is my identity. This is what I live for. Have you guys ever heard this? What is your response when you uh, when you hear this? Or do you think this? I really... I struggle because I'm a little bit of like my food doesn't touch. So I end up like deep diving into like one thing at a time. And so if my work life is thriving, then my health and fitness tends to maybe suffer or maybe my personal relationships kind of don't get as much attention as they need. And so it's that boundaries and prioritizing that I, I know how I want to prioritize. I don't know if humans and my body likes how I prioritize. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to a story a couple of jobs ago. It was a a job that I absolutely loved and I was starting to be burned out, but I had trouble recognizing that within myself. And I had kind of like an out of body experience where you kind of like see yourself, but you're still there. And, and, and through this kind of awareness, I recognized that I wasn't giving the best customer service to the people that I was interacting with. And when that hit me, I thought, Oh, why is that happening? Because the, the job that I had held quite a bit of uh, repetition. So I was saying and doing the same things over and over and over again. And when I realized I was being short with my clients and my customers, I thought, ooh, Megan, take a step back. And I recognized that to be burnout. And I recognized that that was something that I needed to do to move on for the betterment of myself, but also for the betterment of the company, because I wasn't putting my best foot forward. I wasn't giving my best to the client or to the company. So I had to make a a change, an actual job change from that. And although I loved my job at the time, reflecting back, it was one of the best moves I've made. Wow. So it really was impacting your brand, even though you would have said at the moment that was this was a job you love, you absolutely were invested in it, but the signs showed up in the actual way you were performing the role? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I recognize that. You know, I, I love that it's getting compared to a job that you love because we all know that being in a situation that's stressful for us that we don't enjoy is going to bound to, you know, lead us to burnout if we don't do something about it. But, you know, that's earlier when I talked about the three different areas of personal fitness and work in all three of those areas, I've burned myself out while trying to do what I absolutely love. Like I get burned out on being around people, even if I love them. I get burned out on overtraining, even though it's to get me in great health and I'm enjoying myself. And same thing with work, I can relate. So I think that I love that you're talking about it's not just about you're miserable at something and then you're burned out. It's you love something and the fire can still, you're not getting the refill you need. Yes. And that was probably a gift to me in in some way to discover that and to say, okay, this might be a a, a change in direction for me. I'm sure that doesn't happen to everybody. (laughs) Well, I, sometimes it's not a lightning bolt like that. I think the fact that you were super in tune with the fact that it was uh, impacting performance and impacting the way you showed up is an indicator that you were already kind of looking for it. I think a lot of times I especially am guilty of not paying attention to the warning signs mm. <laughs> of burnout and then 
going forward to a point where my burnout shows up. I can get super engaged and enthusiastic about whatever job you give me. You you hand me a shovel and I'm digging ditches. I'm going to be the happiest ditch digger out there. But <laughs> my burnout shows up in the form of distraction. I'm going to start dropping the ball on if you've given me 14 things to, uh, to deliver on, some of those deliverables are going to start slipping through the cracks when I have not regained my focus or regained stability in my mental footing. So that's a huge part of it. It speaks to your exact same situation, Megan. It, when it starts to affect performance, that's kind of the uh, the loudest bell that rings for me that, okay, this is something that we need to start paying attention to. I can relate to that as well. There are busy days at work where I kind of get overwhelmed with what's in front of me. And social media couldn't be more important at that moment. I have to stop what I'm doing, <laughs> right? pick up my phone, connect to Instagram, whatever it is, because I'm so overwhelmed with what's in front of me that I need to just step away for a second and clear my mind. And then, and then it gives me a minute to refocus and then come back. But yeah, distraction is a, something that trips me up as well. Well, that actually leads us into what are some of the signs of burning out? It is not necessarily always the being over the job or hating getting up every day to go in, right? Those are the ones that when you're watching the movies and you're they're trying to show this person is obviously done with their dead end job, that they keep hitting the snooze button 14 times. Some of us hit the snooze button 14 times, uh, even to go to a job that they love. <laughs> but it doesn't always look exactly like that. So let's talk about some of the warning signs that show up for each of us. I think you hit a, a major one, Megan, in looking at job performance overall. By the time it, it starts showing up in the job you're doing, that can be just a huge red flag. And then uh, attention, loss of uh, loss of focus can be another one. What are some other uh, other things that you've seen or you've walked colleagues or clients through in terms of burning out? I've recognized it in having trouble sleeping. Mm. Uh, so sleeplessness, you know, you're laying in bed or you're, you're laying down for bed and you're trying to like recap the day and it's just not fading away for you. And my mind is still going and going and going. And I'm wondering if that has something to do with, you know, what I've left at work or am I overwhelmed or am I burned out? Okay, so when you bring it home and it starts following you uh, into bed at night, definitely. Yes. <laughs> well, that doesn't sound creepy at all. Right. Like but it is shadow. creepy. <laughs> I'm trying to make it sound creepy because it's creeping in. A little burnout creep. See, and you know what's funny is I also see, like, if you can tune into yourself, I know for me, I started to notice that I was getting burned out on a job because. I was getting irritated by things that didn't used to irritate me. I, I can't say they were all like favorite things of mine, but people or circumstances that I used to actually see as opportunities, like pushback from someone or, you know, someone saying no, but we're still having a conversation, things like that that can be challenging. But all of a sudden it would just like spiral me into having the worst day. And I'd start to like, at one point I was in a, this is such a, this is one of my favorite ones to discuss. It's like, I was in a meeting and someone said something against how I was proposing we do performance management. And I broke out with a, I will fight to the death that this is how performance management is done. <laughs> and I was like, okay, who am I talking to? <laughs> who am I, I going to fight to the death for performance management? Like, where is that coming from? And I came home and I was fuming, like just in my head, like going over these arguments and debates and like, how dare they? And I just realized, I'm like, well, this is so dumb. Like, I've heard that kind of pushback my entire job. Why now does that matter? And I just started to look around and realize, like, oh, my God, 
I'm wiped. I've got, I, I call it like I have no more human bumpers left and I need a break. That is so fascinating, Heather. Let me be the yang to that yin. One of the biggest red flags that I've noticed uh, on a role that I'd taken on with a relatively recent client for a long-term project. It was a particularly challenging project, and there were many times, especially early on, where I had that, I don't know if I said fight to the death. I really love that you brought that out in the meeting. (laughs) But I had that same mentality. I will go toe-to-toe with whoever thinks this is wrong because I have proof that this is the way that this is going to bring the client forward. And I had that passion, and I had that vigor, and I was ready to have a conversation with whoever I needed to, ready to get in front of whoever I needed to. There was a point months down the road where I was in a similar meeting where we were having the same conversation again. And I just remember sitting there and going, fine, whatever. And I thought, oh, no, I have lost all interest in this. I am no longer benefiting the client. If I'm not ready to go back to the mat to fight for what I think is the appropriate way to handle this based on the evidence I've got in front of me, what benefit am I providing to the client? My apathy snuck in and knocked on the door as a sign of burnout. I was like, I no longer care. This is bad. Well, and that even speaks to just apathy. And I like I I talk about apathy in some of my classes. You don't realize that you're actually at one of the highest levels of stress in those moments because your conscious brain is saying nothing's going to change. I can't make this happen. So I'm going to just check out. But your subconscious is still reacting just as passionately. You're basically telling your brain, I can't do anything. I'm not in control of anything. And so everything is on the highest level of stress because when it comes to survival, not being able to do anything is the scariest thing possible. But we, we numb ourselves thinking that we can't feel anything, but inside all those stress hormones are going nuts. Right. Those are the creepy thought patterns that are following Megan home. (laughs) (laughs) Following me to bed. I'm upstairs. (laughs) That's an excellent point because our basic brain is still processing all of the stress that that comes with a naturally challenging job. And challenging is not meant to be a euphemism for hard or horrible here. A, a, A good job should be challenging in a number of ways. We should always be challenged with ways that can progress our skill set, benefit the company, you know, where we're all moving forward. But that said, if the challenge no longer is pushing your behavior forward and now is just giving you physical signs of stress or metaphysical signs of uh, of stress, I think we've you've reached that wall, right? Absolutely. I think I think that when you recognize the passion and you're channeling it for a good thing, that is good. But when you recognize that the passion has decreased like you did, Katie, that can be a sign that's maybe not the lightning bolt, not as obvious, mm-hmm. but should have you pause for a second and say, ooh, you know, why, did, why is my reaction different today than it was three weeks ago? I think that's a perfect segue into how do we check in with ourselves to know, A, when we need to step back, and B, how we step back to recharge our batteries. So what are we looking for for somebody who is in their first real challenging career trajectory role and is experiencing their very first signs of burnout on the job or what they think might be the first signs of burnout? How do we coach somebody like that through paying attention to what is going on with them, A, finding those warning signs that we were just talking about, and B, finding what it is that's going to rechannel their energy and give them uh, a chance to refocus outside of the workday so that they can bring that energy back. You know, I think that I think the coaching is interesting because sometimes you have to rely on people to raise their hand and say they're burned out. That's a little bit easier to work with. 
I think when you're in the workplace and you're seeing people burned out, you know, how do you address that? Because you don't know if it's personal life. You don't know if it's all these other things. And so I just always, any whether people are reporting to me and I'm managing them or even supporting my own manager or even peers, try to keep it as a team value, a workplace value is self-care. And if you're a leader in an organization, for you to even just talk about, this is what I do. So if you make it a topic that is discussed instead of just waiting until somebody has an issue, I think people will be a little bit more self-aware. And the way that I introduce it is, like, I want to make sure that people are taking care of themselves so we can hit results. But what I don't want to hear is that if I have a conversation with you because a result wasn't hit, and then you flip on me and say, oh, it's because I'm burned out, when you've had ample opportunity to talk to me about this, and for us to figure out how to set things up to support you. So, because I don't want to leave that door open where there's people who are just trying to avoid consequences and then they pull the I'm burned out card. I, I think it's a really proactive and progressive leader who will introduce that to their team to say, hey, sometimes we all can get burned out. These are some of the things that I do. So if you are a leader, I think it's awesome to, to take that lead. And if you don't have a leader like that, I would say your first step is to at least recognize it within yourself, to have that conversation with yourself, to look back and, and have some awareness of maybe your body language or, or what your body is telling you, if it's that sleeplessness or clenched fists or whatever that might be, or are they more mental and kind of internal things that your mind doesn't slow down and there's nothing physically obvious, but kind of mentally. And I would say that there are so many different ways to recharge yourself and to honor what ways are best for you. Uh, like if someone is a, an indirect communicator or an introvert, they're going to recharge in a very, very different way than someone who is an extrovert or a, a direct communicator. So not only have that conversation with yourself, but then honor your best ways. That is fantastic advice, not just looking to your friends and going, oh, okay, well, this is what she does to recharge and this is what he does to recharge. I have to do one of these things that I see them doing. Hot yoga isn't the right fit for everybody. Including me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just really tuning into what makes you happy, whether it's at work or whether it's what you're doing at home after work to kind of recharge those batteries and then extrapolating that and finding those opportunities. Yeah, I think everyone's way to recharge is going to be customized and individual to them because we're each one of us is complex and unique. So our way to recharge is probably going to be equally complex and unique. Speaking of unique and complex and fascinating ways to recharge, I thought all three of us kind of have different strategies for what burns us out or what uses most of our energy in our uh, regular work days, and then what we have found as ways to re-energize and recharge those batteries. I'd love to explore, Megan, you've got some great strategies for plugging back into your best self. I'd love for to hear a little bit about what you do to uh, to get and stay organized, to, uh, to volunteer and give back as part of recharging your batteries. Absolutely. As we were talking and kind of planning out this topic, those things kind of bubbled to the surface for me of saying, this is a way to kind of feel grounded and feel settled. So if, if my mind is going a, a million miles a minute or that creepy thing has followed me up the stairs to bed, <laughs> how can I get myself organized? Uh, how can I get my mind organized? And one of the things that I have great success at is just being organized in life, whether it's organized at work, 
or whether it's organized at home in my personal world. And I rely heavily on lists and whether those are lists in my Outlook calendar at work, whether it's the reminder app that I rely heavily on in my personal phone to keep those thoughts that are floating around, write them down and just get them out of my head. But staying organized gives me a great sense of fulfillment, makes me feel ready and prepared for the day, or even at the very least, just kind of draining my mind of what's swirling around, getting it out on paper or written down in some way. So some of the things that I find success at work-wise when using my Outlook calendar is to color code things. So if I've got an appointment at one o'clock, which is with a client, that might be one color versus if I'm working on something with a new employee in the firm, that might be a totally different color. So at a quick glance in my day or my week, I have a sense of where I'm spending a lot of my time because those things are color coded. And what's great is when you're using you know, Microsoft Outlook, those colors only reflect you. And if I were to invite someone to a meeting and I color code it olive green, it doesn't show up on their calendar as olive green. They can make it whatever color they want to. So it, that allows for that customization and you know the person using color or not. And so that is one way that I use electronically. And then also when it comes to any paper, because we're certainly not a paperless world just yet, uh, but I use colored folders or colored markers or something that's going to be the title on this stack of papers. So I know what to grab whenever meeting I happen to be going to. So I guess my world at work is pretty colorful. <laughs> now, now that I reflect back on it. And then at a glance, you kind of have a visual cue that depending on the colors you've picked, I'm sure you're not picking colors that you hate. Correct. I would, I would hope. <laughs> right. So you found a, a meaningful and beautiful way to kind of keep your focus intact as you assess your day and your upcoming week. Oh, that's a fabulous strategy. Yeah. I love it. I do color coding too, though. I think I've done it more just to kind of know where I'm going, what I'm doing, but not from this strategy. I really like it. I like it too. I wonder how many shades of green Outlook will let me tinge uh, <laughs> different projects. <laughs> I'm going to play with that today. <laughs> I, yeah, they do need a bigger palette. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw yes. it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and some sparkle. It would be really great if we had some Ooh. like... <laughs> some like patterns. <laughs> right. If Outlook can put some sequins on their calendar appointments or something like that. And Let's put I, that in the suggestion box. Right. I want to I copyright that. <laughs> we were, uh, you and I were talking a little while ago, Megan, about something else that you do as a, having recognized that as a, an introvert at heart, there's only so much talking in front of people, even as a professional speaker, as a professional public speaker and corporate trainer that you get to do. So you found a really creative and wonderful way to use a, a good friend that happens to live in your house with you to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to bring back some of that focus and some of that energy in a meaningful way. I wondered if you would tell us a little bit about Gladys. I would be happy to, yes. Uh, so Gladys and I are a therapy dog team. So Gladys is my dog. She is my pet. She's nine years old. She's a uh, cocker spaniel. And I guess around four years, we've had her, we had her for four years. During that time, I was volunteering. So that's another way that I try to recharge my batteries. And I have a soft spot for senior citizens and people who are in nursing homes. So I was doing volunteering on my own through one of the local nursing homes and I was calling bingo and leading sing-alongs and helping with manicures and all of kind of those fun things that I was able to 
access in the evening after my nine to five job. And I got burned out on that part of volunteering. It got a little too close to my heart. I, I, I grew a little too close to some of the residents who were then, you know, progressing and I wasn't able to visit with them. And I thought, okay, I need a new path. And as I was just kind of sitting at home thinking about this new path, I happened to look down at my dog Gladys and thought, oh my gosh, there you are. Super sweet. Your tail is wagging for no apparent reason. (laughs) You've got a disposition that makes my heart smile. I wonder if we could do something together. And then it took a bit of research and we had to pass a certification test, but we have now passed on to over five years of volunteering through this organization called Therapy Dogs International. And we have the ability to go into all kinds of different opportunities, but the one that we pursue the most, because I get a lot of reward from it, I trust that she does just based on how she reacts to it. (laughs) And it also works really well with my availability in our schedule is we volunteer at local libraries and children practice their reading skills with us. Oh, I I know. know. So So, sweet. yeah, so there are uh, a couple Thursdays each month and a couple Saturdays each month that we'll go to different libraries and children of all ages. So sometimes we even get non-readers where one of the parents or guardians will be reading to Gladys and you know the child is listening or the child is of reading age and maybe uh, self-conscious about their own reading skills or if they're going to skip a page, Gladys isn't going to point that out. So it's really... <laughs> It's really just about them getting practice, saying words aloud, following along, sounding words out. And Gladys and I just sit there and smile and support them in a a just kind of a friendly way. And then I've also learned how much life skill comes from that as well. Not only the reading, which of course people take with them throughout their lives, but sometimes this is maybe the child's first or one of the first interactions with a dog. And that whole lesson of how do I introduce myself to the dog? How do I let the dog smell my hand? You know, and, and how do you pet the dog? How do you, how are you gentle with animals? Because if they don't have animals at home or don't have exposure to animals outside of their home, learning to pet an animal is a life skill as well. So we estimate we've have visited with over 500 kids in the last five years and just the the love and support that she gives them by just being there and being patient is so heartwarming to me and so fulfilling. And that is a great bashing of burnout for me. That's amazing. I think there is something to that when you're, you're, you don't have as much energy as you think. And a lot of life is just kind of stressing you out the concept of going and giving to other people seems so counterintuitive, like to get outside of yourself sometimes because you're, you're, some of that burnout just comes from being so consumed with your day-to-day life and your day-to-day challenges and to just get outside of yourself and be around other people and that how much energy you can get back from people's joy and just knowing that you're doing something, it's, it just kind of creates a different kind of energy wheel, I think. I want to point out the three of us on the podcast today, facilitation is a portion of all of our roles, which means getting up and delivering a bunch of information, leading people through concepts together. It ends up at some point being about having eyes on us and we're the ringleaders of the circus that are kind of bringing all the information forward or bringing the conversation forward. I find it ingenious, Megan, that you have found a way to connect while 
taking the ringleader portion out of it and making Gladys your partner in crime <laughs> and saying, yes. here's Gladys. Gladys can handle this attention. I'm going to take a back seat for a second because maybe that's part of what you want to walk away from. Not that it's not a wonderful part of the jobs that we all do. I love that part of it, but I need to step away from that as well. So putting the focus back on the adorable furry animal is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I, like you said at the beginning, I am an introvert at heart. And I think if I had to label Gladys, she would be an extrovert just based on the, <laughs> the speed and consistency of her tail. She is just her whole rear end wags whenever she sees someone or gets an opportunity. So so we, we have that little reading with the kids and then we always do a little bit of a couple tricks. So she's got about 30 tricks up her sleeve. So I pull a couple of those out and get a few squeals from the kids and we make, we make it a good day. Oh, how fun. So oh, that just sounds amazing. Megan has shared a couple of pictures of Gladys that we'll be, uh, we'll be posting on LinkedIn and a couple other spots as part of this podcast. She's every bit as adorable as you're picturing in your brain and more. She's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> I love focusing and pointing out that the things that can sometimes be the most engaging parts of the jobs we love to do can also be the thing that we have to walk away from, or not necessarily even completely walk away from, but take a back seat for in times of re-energizing and, and refocusing. One of the things that I love to do is kind of flip the roles as somebody who does a lot of facilitation, a lot of just uh, straight up training and instructional design and development, and kind of pushing learning out to others as a part of my role regularly. I love to switch it up by just going into full student mode and practicing my student skills. Because sometimes one of the burnout signs that I recognize is when the participants in my trainings are not acting as the perfect students, quote unquote, I start to get frustrated and go, why are they not being just perfect little angels sitting in their seat and answering when I ask them questions? <laughs> and then I think, oh, I would never be that kind of a student. How can I expect <laughs> anybody else to be? I really love re-energizing by learning. So the transition from being asked for information to getting information from new and interesting sources. Podcasts are a huge part of that for me, especially murder podcasts. But I don't know what that says about me specifically. <laughs> <That is laughs> not something I'm trying to learn any pertinent information for for any specific purpose. His uh, history. Thanks for that clarity. Yeah, I just wanted to make, just wanted to put that out there. That's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Business podcasts, uh, career strategy podcasts, science history. Just learning how we were going to start to create this podcast sent me down a whole fun learning rabbit hole where I just spent days on Google to figure out how do you get a podcast loaded? How do you do this? How do you optimize sound? How do you edit? Any opportunity, whether I'm going to be using it in my work life or whether it's just for personal development. It's a, a great recharge to kind of not be a passive recipient of knowledge, but find a new way to engage my brain in learning and kind of light up those other brain centers that are different from what you're using when you're teaching. I agree with you of like sometimes doing what you're doing to get back on the other side. I also just think from a learning perspective, it's good to always be open and to be in a vulnerable position of, I don't know this and I'm going to be called on, or I am going to sit in a room and this person's going to control whether I'm bored to tears or whether it's worth my time. The other side, because you guys keep throwing around the introvert side of it, is the new term is ambivert, where it's like you enjoy being extroverted, so I, I, but you need uh, introvert to recharge. 
And so people, a lot of times throughout my whole career, they'd be like, oh, you must be so much fun to party with because I'm having such a blast in classes and joking around. And and then we'd go out to the bar and I'd just be sitting there very quietly, you know, <laughs> sipping my <laughs> vodka tonic and uh, just people watching. And they're like, are you depressed? Are you okay? And it's like, no, I just honestly, like, I just need to decompress. And so now anytime I've taught a class during the day, I just recognize I'll need some time to decompress versus going right into going home to my family or going to a social event, like doing that over and over and over again and never having this time to just turn inward and not have to tune into anyone and not have to put energy. And the way that I phrase it is you can go on a great road trip and have the best time, but you're still going to empty your gas tank. You're going to have to refill (laughs) it. And that's kind of what that is for me. For me to refill is really just quiet time by myself because I'm just so sensitive to other people and what they might need and whatnot. So truly being by myself with my cats. Okay. (laughs) Right. Cats are a big part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. But that is huge. And I, I, you know, I, there's certain things, but solo activities and just kind of having that time to let my brain kind of run through things and hear myself think is huge for me. And I've come to really treasure that as I've gotten older, I don't think I realized how much I needed that when I was uh, younger in my career. And Heather, you've also engaged in some pretty amazing physical challenges and goals that you've put yourself through the paces. I wondered if that was aligned at all with kind of stepping back or, or taking you in a different direction than the way your brain is uh, is being used when you're working with clients, when you're working in your career role versus what you're doing to go inward and, and focus on finding the initiative and the, the strength to go forward with a physical goal. What's interesting is it's been an interesting journey because I've always weightlifted it. And as a kid, my dad used to take me to the gym. And so in high school and even in my early teens and 20s, I would go and I would lift and that would be my time to just put my headphones on. Really, the world just disappeared. And some people run, some people do some other stuff. For me, it's always been weightlifting. And then work and life and things just kind of took me in a different direction. I wasn't doing that as much. And I had that moment where I had started consulting and it was more like life gave me that opportunity because honestly, I was new to consulting. I didn't have that many clients, so I had a lot of free time. And I think so I didn't like stab myself in the eye with the free time and freak out about the fact that I just quit a good job and I into consulting. <laughs> I started to obsess about like going into fitness competitions, which I had wanted to do when I was in my 20s. So that ended up taking a lot of time. And I'd say for a good two years, I think it helped offset how not not as busy at work that I'm used to. I was used to just it consuming my whole life. And so that kind of filled something. But what I noticed is I burned out after two years. I really burned out and hit a wall. And then all of a sudden work picked up. So then it was work again. This is where I go, like I'm kind of all in one area. And where I'm at right now is going back to, I have to find a saner way Work is always going to be the thing that fuels me. We've talked about the pyramid of purpose and how work is really up there for me. But I have to figure out how to have health and fitness be this kind of foundational brick for me versus it has to be up there at the top and gets a lot of focus because I just don't have the time to do it. And I honestly don't have the same level. My vanity, as high as it is, it's nowhere near as high as it was in my 30s and 20s. that definitely fights against me. And so I'm trying to figure out, like, I also, I don't have the luxury to just ignore health if I want to be able to thrive and live and enjoy my life. And so I'm trying to figure out that kind of sane approach where I do it and it kind of sustains me, but it's not my every obsession and every hour. And I'm just kind of living and breathing it the way that I was for those two years. 
I think that speaks exactly to the balance that we're talking about trying to strike with these recharging energies and activities is finding the time. It's it's great once we've identified them. And, and Megan, it sounds like you have found a big part of what you called out was this works with our schedule. Uh, Gladys, right. I know, has a full calendar. Yes. And so <laughs> making sure that, uh, that, that you guys, you know, have found something that works on a timeline that still allows you to do the life things that you need to do is a huge part of finding that balance. So that's definitely instructive. Right. And you can imagine that those library times are color-coded, right? Of course they are, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think like I go back to, you know, we've mentioned in some of the other podcasts this, I want to kind of bring up again the pyramid purpose. And I'm always saying it's not about work-life balance. It's about work-life alignment. You know, I used to always feel like my pyramid was perfectly aligned and I had friends and family on the, on the foundational fitness and education in the middle and then work and money at the, at the top of it. And then, you know, at the very top of it was help people be who they need to be. And that's how I kind of aligned and it always worked for me. And now what's interesting is work and family because my personal situations changed. That brick has forced itself at least into the second rung (laughs) and I, it, it booted the fitness down. And I don't think I wanted to acknowledge that that switch happened. And I was just kind of fighting it. But then push comes to shove. It was work and then family and then fitness got kind of a backseat of things. And so I'm trying to readjust because the way I've always viewed foundational bricks is like it's something that you need to have the most stable in your life to enable the rest of the things that you're doing. So it needs to be the lowest drama. It needs to be the most predictable. And my friends and family had always been that. Then, you know, you move in with someone, have a, a little bit of a new family, and all of a sudden, it's not as predictable. It's not as it's not as stable in the way that I'm used to just coming home to myself and the cats. And so to do fitness and go like, well, I can't have it be this adventure where I'm doing these extreme things. I actually just need it to wear almost like brushing my teeth. I just need to know that it's happening and it does its job. <laughs> well, I think that speaks to uh, the overarching purpose of recharging. It gives us the opportunity to step back from the project and do some DIY on remodeling our pyramids when it comes time to do that. Sometimes we need some foundational restructuring. The recharging our batteries is a way of stepping back and seeing what needs uh, what needs work, what needs a little bit of polish or a fresh coat of paint. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree with everything. I, I think that giving yourself the permission to rearrange some of your bricks, right? Rather than just building it and saying, this is it, hmm. saying that, you know, life changes or, or we're moving into a different chapter of our lives or our job changes or we relocate and things have to shift, but they're going to shift and they're going to find their own spot. And then your pyramid is going to emerge again. And you get to do a renovation. You get to call in the property brothers. That's there where you go. Is. <laughs> a little bit of rewiring some yeah some fresh paint I like it yeah we knock out this wall we put this brick over here it's I all open it. concept and a, <laughs> and a farmer sink right I love it <laughs> that brings us to the end of the show Megan as we've been closing in on our uh, our conversation of avoiding burnout do you have any relaxing tips or recharging info that you'd like to plug? Uh, I would say if anyone is interested in learning more about just therapy dogs or therapy uh, animals in general, because I know that locally where I live, there's even a therapy pony. (laughs) 
<laughs> that oh, wow. comes in, yeah, comes <laughs> into some of the local hospitals. And can you imagine like a little kid in this big hospital bed? Would you like to see a pony? Well, yeah, there's one in the hall. You know? So whether it's, you know, in hospitals or like we are in libraries, sometimes uh, therapy animals can even be in airports, helping people just, you know, get over their fear or anxiety of flying. I want to encourage people, wherever you see therapy animals as an option, and if it is of interest to you and you want a little bit of smiles and, you know, something to, to pet and have a, have a quiet moment with, I would say I'm a huge advocate for that. They're out there. The organization that I work with is nationwide. So regardless of where any of our listeners are living, uh, it might be an option for you. And I think that animals bring a different energy than humans do. And there's a lot of study and research about them reducing um, blood pressure and just bringing overall health and peace and deep breathing and all of that. So I'm a huge advocate of including animals in your way to recharge. I think we're all in agreement on that. Uh, 100%. <laughs> For sure. Whether it's dogs, cats, ponies, doesn't matter. <laughs> Heather, you got any hot tips for uh, relaxing and recharging that you want to throw out? I think uh, the one that we haven't talked about is just to have a sense of entitlement that you deserve it. I, I always go by my uh, sister, who she is an amazing example of. She takes the time out to work out or she takes the break. I've never heard her apologize for it. Yet, I have also don't view her as somebody who's not good about taking care of her family or being generous with others. So I'm always amazed at like what a role model she is in that there's not an ounce of guilt that comes from, you know, her taking care of herself and she does it in the most beautiful kind of role modeling way. And so I try to take from that because I definitely um, have some loose boundaries when it comes to certain things mm -hmm. and putting myself first is not the thing that I'm always the best about. And so to just to sit there and say like, not only, you know, yeah, the whole, like put your mask on before you, put the mask on for others. Like that always seems so stark to me. And I'm like, well, no one's dying here. I don't have to put a mask on, but to just go, you know, my sister would just be like, uh, yeah, no one wants to be around me if I don't do this. And I just <laughs> like that's the best way to phrase that because I'm like that I can get on board with because that's closer to the truth than I'd like to admit. That's a great tip. That's an excellent point. Make space and realize that this is an item on the to-do list that cannot be negotiated. For my part, I'm just going to plug Trashy Rosé because that's the quickest way to relaxation <laughs> for me. Uh, but we want to hear from you. If you have a tip or a creative way that you relax and recharge your batteries uh, when you realize that you are on the verge of burnout, if you have a question or a story that you want to share that has to do with what we talked about today, or if you want to hear us discuss something that's on your mind, or just tell us what you think of the episodes, tweet us at... LMTP Consulting, message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, or email us, lmtppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Megan. It was such a joy to speak with you again. Excellent. <laughs> Ladies, such a treat to be here with you. Thank you for including thank you me. Thank you so much, Megan. Really appreciate thank it. Thank you. And, and thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.